That's something I want to share with you this morning. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's about eight verses of scripture that you're so familiar with. And as a matter of fact, uh, you've been to Sunday schools and you've been to seminars and you've been to workshops and you've heard preaching on this passage of scripture for probably for back as long as you can, as long as you can remember. And I want to share some uh, things the Lord showed me about this passage of scripture. I don't know. They're not new, of course, but they're just, they're just nuggets down there that, that maybe I'd never seen before. And I'm excited about this. Now, you'll notice as ministry and teaching ministry develops here, but as it has also been presented, a lot of times, you know, you'll go to church or our history has been uh, that there's, there's some messages that's just really exciting. I mean, you just get pumped up and juiced up and, and ready to go and just with all guns. And then there's other times that somewhere in the middle you, you get some teaching and that sort of thing and it's not quite as... You know, jump up and down and hoop and holler and hip hip hoorah. And so there's a variety of those things. I don't know where this falls in. Uh, I'm going to let uh, the Spirit of the Lord work this morning. And Lord, I invite your presence into our hearts, lives, and our minds. Open us up, dear God, so we can see truth and revelation and that we can apply that in our lives and in our ministries and our homes, Lord, in our schools, the places we work, the places we recreate, and in every other area. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12. I've heard this preached uh, as a butterfly text forever. Yeah, butterfly text. Thank you. Am I going dead? Okay. Well, no, I'm not going dead. (laughs) Of course, there's, there's some semblance of truth to the fact that, you know, we die daily. So in that regard, uh, yeah, this is the butterfly text. Okay. And I'll kind of tell you about that as we go along. Romans 12, verse 1. We're going to go eight verses deep, okay? Uh, I may not read this exactly like it is in your Bible, but uh, you can get the gist of it anyway. I'll be using the King James Version today. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man or woman the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity, he that rules with diligence, and he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. reason it's called the butterfly text is because it says, be transformed. Okay? A lot of times, um, and we'll talk about that, transformation, but a lot of times that's, that's likened unto a butterfly coming out of a cocoon, you know, and... Uh, not the larva that it once was, but it was in the cocoon for a period of time, developing into the beautiful butterfly. Now, 
Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, the word beseech, we don't use that a whole lot these days, do we? When's the last time you heard somebody say beseech? <laughs> huh? Never. Yeah. Yeah. You know, have you ever wondered, this is beside the point, but have you ever wondered why when you watch um, like these old movies where uh, it, it's seated in, um, let me give you a good example here. Okay, yeah. It could be a story, it could be a story like in, like in Roman times. Why they never have Italian actors. They use British actors with British accents. Have you ever, you, ever, you, ever, you ever noticed that? Strange, isn't it? So in the context of certain movies and stuff, they use these words, but we don't use these words anymore. What, you know, without the benefit of, of, of looking up in a, in a concordance or a lexicon what the word beseech means, what would you think it means? Help me here. Beg, plead. What else? It's good words. Huh? Encourage. What else? Passionately. What else? All good, all good words. And the word beseech actually means urge. You know, there's, there's a sense of urgency here with Paul talking about uh, what they needed to do. I urge you, therefore. Therefore, what does that mean? Well, that points back to something that happened before we read these words. It points back mainly to everything that's transpired and been written between verses 1 and verses 11, which is all about the salvation of men's souls and the gospel. Okay? So he's urging these people because of salvation, because they've been saved, because Jesus is in their hearts, because they've been washed of their sins. He is urging the people who live in Rome, as he writes this, he is urging them to do something. It's important. And I stand before you today, and it's just a sense of urgency that I am urging you by the word of the Lord, the same thing that Paul did to the people in Rome, I'm urging you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What does all that mean? I'm urging you today that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I'm urging you by the word of God. What does all that mean, living sacrifice? Does that mean you got to kill yourself or something? No, living sacrifice. I read behind one guy, and this is what he said. He, he said what Paul is actually getting to here is he's using an allegory that happens earlier about the, the, the Hebrew um, traditions of worship where they actually made animal sacrifices in the temple. They made animal sacrifices in the temple to be obedient to God, to express their love to him, to honor him, to worship him. Okay, they did that. Now, Paul is using that allegory and he's bringing it forward into real life and he's, he's saying, you know, um, that thing is, is, is dead and gone now. We're under a new dispensation. We're under a new covenant. We're under the blood of Jesus. We've been saved. And because of that, instead of, 
instead of a dead faith or a dead expression, you need to, I'm urging you to be a living sacrifice. In other words, be accessible, be ready to, to be obedient to God in every way, in every day. That would be a, you know, if you could sort of coin a phrase about being a Christian every day and in every way, and you could use that as a slogan, people could grab a hold of you. You could put that on a T-shirt if you was clever enough with it, that people really grab people's attention, urging them to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which was, he said, their reasonable service. Now, here's another interesting word, reasonable. You know what that word means? Rational. He's saying this is your rational service. This may be one of the only or one of the few times in Scripture that the word rational is ever used in context with trying to convince somebody of a, of a Christian or a biblical truth. Just because it's rational. You know, there's some things that just make good sense. You know, it makes good sense for me to get up in the morning and to shave and to put on deodorant and to put on clean clothes. Now, actually, um, where I work, I have to take a shower at night and shave then. But, you know, it just makes sense to clean yourself up and to, and to have good personal hygiene. I don't want to be offensive to people. I don't, I, I, I don't want them to reject me because of the way I smell. Now, at courses of times during the day in the, in, in the practice of my vocation, I'm nasty and dirty and I stink. But I don't have to stay that way. It's reasonable for me to come in and to clean myself up and to look halfway decent and to smell good. Because the folks I live with wouldn't put up with it very long. And you know, by the same token... When Jesus has washed you up and when he's cleaned you and when he has made you whole, when he has anointed you with his spirit and caused you to give off that sweet fragrance, there's something reasonable about the way we respond to that. There is nothing wrong with the reasonable requirements that God has put before us in his word. There's nothing wrong with the reasonable requirements Service and the living sacrifice of tithing and making offerings. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with me expressing my witness verbally to somebody. That's reasonable. Jesus has died for me. I should, I should gladly express that. It's reasonable for me to be in assembly. Whether it's in a church setting or whether it's in a home group or wherever it happens to be, it's reasonable for me to assemble with the believers in Christ. It's reasonable for me to assembly with people that's my brothers and sisters. See, those are, those are reasonable things. And so it is a reasonable thing for us to present ourselves in every way and in every day as a as a. Blood-bought, born-again child of the living God who has been set apart, who's been made holy, who's been forgiven. That's reasonable. What would, it, what would Christianity be like if, if nobody thought that was reasonable? You ever thought about that? It would be a stinking world, wouldn't it? 
So see, that's reasonable. Not only is that, we need to be convinced of that. I mean, that just needs to be a part of who we are. Now, second verse. And be not conformed to this world. Okay. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what's that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So we're to be this. We are to demonstrate the life of Jesus and yield to that. And that's what being presenting is. It's sort of a yielding. We are to yield to, to, the, des, to the desire and to, and of God and to his requirements. We're to yield to that in a loving way and present ourselves a living sacrifice. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think we have. And let's, let's just get right to that. Here's where most of, here's where a lot of our religious tradition that we think is God is not God. All right, now we've got folks in here who came from Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches and Methodist churches. And uh, is, is anybody else come from a background other than that? Presbyterian? Presbyterian? Evangelical free? Evangelical free? Which weren't free at all. Yeah, which weren't free at all. Do we have any... Independent fundamental Baptist in here. Independent fundamental. Okay, let's just. And I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not condemning here, but I'm just. I'm, I'm using. I'm, we're fixing to go somewhere to make a point. Okay, conformity in this verse actually means. All right. Willingly adopting someone else's form. Or action and mimicking it. Okay. For example, you know, uh, it would be like me seeing Parker with his blue shirt and black pants and black shoes and nice socks and curly hair. It would be me being so taken with Parker that I wanted to look like him. I even had me a little beard, dress like him, take on his mannerisms, you know, and, and every time. Um, people saw me, they would say, hey, you, know, you, look, you, look, you look like Parker Mullis. Or you act like Parker Mullis. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Parker said, oh, gosh. So conformity is, 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 is recognizing or acknowledging that an individual or a thing is a model or an example or a mark to shoot for, and I need to be like that. That's what conformity is. Now, let's go into our religious backgrounds. What would, for those of you who are, I'm just going to ask a question. For those of you who are Pentecostal, what would be some things in, in the Pentecostal practice of your faith that, that people would do to conform? Because, you know, I've learned through, this, through the study of religions that most religions will portray or project an image that you need to adhere to, whether it's conscious or whether it's unconscious. i tell you what I thought. Y'all, don't shoot me. I thought about the big hair. The big hair, the big hair, the beehive hairdos. You know? I would really like to know the origin of that, just for sake of knowing the origin of it. But you could spot a Pentecostal lady 
back in the 60s and 70s, you could spot them in town by the way they did their hair and the way they dressed. And it was all the women. That was a pattern. And I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not condemning. I, this is an illustration, okay? And fundamental, what would be something else in, that, that y'all could see that was a conformity thing? You can sort of join in later. I'll just go on with this. Independent, fundamental, premillennial, dispensational Baptist preachers. You could spot them a mile away. And here's the way you spotted them for a while. They never appeared in public with anything other than a black suit, black shoes, black socks, white shirt, and black tie. I mean, you could... Back in the 70s, Parker, that kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, didn't it? It really did. Because people didn't really dressed that way we started getting new kind of materials and and all kind of uh funky colors and tie-dyed t-shirts and people were beginning to become freer whether that's good or bad that would be another debate but people began to be freer but you could recognize those guys and then one guy somewhere started wearing a red tie okay and then all of a sudden all of them started wearing red ties because that was the color of the blood. That's the way that was explained. I could, just, I could see this in my own mind right now. Somebody asked the guy, said, hey, man, why are you wearing a red tie? You're supposed to be wearing a black tie. He said, because it's the color of the blood of Jesus. And somebody liked that. And so somebody else started wearing that tie. And that's why they all did. Okay? You know, conformity. Because someone else has set a standard. And we like that standard and we could identify with it. That's what conformity is. Any other things y'all can think of? There you go. The 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 mm -hmm. That's right. And the Hasidic Jew. With the curls and the big tall hat and the white shirt and the long black coat. You know? The Orthodox rabbis. You know? I mean, we could go on and on. We could find little things. That, that may or may not have biblical origins, but that people in that group were prone to say, hey, you know, that looks, I really, you know, this guy over here, this gal here is real spiritual. They're doing that. I think I need to look that way too or do that way. Okay. Okay. He says, don't be conformed. Okay, I, I used all those things to give you an idea of what conformity is. But what he's talking about here is, is not necessarily being conformed to someone. He's talking about not being conformed to what? World. This world. Okay. What does that mean? Think about it a second. What does that mean? I know I'm not to be, I, you know, I know I'm not supposed to look like Parker. Parker looks like himself. I like Parker the way he is. I hope I think Parker likes the way he is. You know? I don't want to look like you. I don't want to act like you. I don't want to talk like you. God's made me a unique, special individual. And this is who I am. Sometimes it's a good thing, and sometimes it may not be a good thing. But I don't want to be like you. And you sure don't want to be like me because I got some problems you don't want. <laughs> but world. It's talking about 
this age. Do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this age. Did you know that in every generation and in every decade or so, there's things in this age, this time span, this, this frame of eternity. There's things that the devil puts out there. There's things that the world puts out there. There's, there's carnal things that we're tempted to grab a hold to and be conformed to in every age. You know what one of the things I thought about that caught not only Christians off guard but caught a lot of secular people off guard too back in the last, say, 20, 30 years? Let's see, you know, maybe just a little bit longer than that, probably the last 40 years. It was the perverted view of credit and how to do business in this world. The perverted view of, of, of money and how to use it and the way we should do business in this world. I learned a really hard lesson about that. You know? I lost everything. But God had a unique, merciful way of giving me everything back. <laughs> for the most part. Everything that was important anyway. He got rid of some stuff that was not important, but... You know, I kept him. He gave me back the important stuff, which shows me he is a merciful God. But we're not to be conformed to what's going on in this age in the earth that's not God. Maybe that's the way to say that. We need to have clear discernment and understanding and revelation on what we should be adhering to, what we should be using as examples, and what we shouldn't be using as examples. And everywhere we go, we need to be a model as best we can possibly be at that moment in time with the revelation that we have. We need to be a model of what God has intended us to be to the people of this earth in this age. And you know, if you do that, you're going to look a little funny. You're not going to look like everybody else. You're not really going to sound like everybody else. You know, you may wear, you may wear Hawaiian shirts and blue jeans and sandals. You know, you may have long hair, short hair. There, there's, there's ways, you know, you, you, you've, there, there are ways you can interact without being conformed to the things you shouldn't be conformed to. And there are ways that you will fit in to a degree, but as you talk and discuss and as the way you live your life and the choices that you make, the choices that you make will reflect to the people you know and the people you don't know What really makes your heart beat and where you're really at on the inside and up in your head. And the people who are, maybe, maybe the people who will recognize it most are people who are lost. Maybe. The people who are unconverted. The people who need something and they see something in you of value. And it begins, there's, a, there's an attraction. And I guess what he's, what he's saying here is, is you don't have to be like the world around you. You be a living expression. You be a living sacrifice in every day and every way unto the Lord. And you don't adhere yourself to what's going on in this age and the things that are bad. You do that and in doing so, you're going to prove out or you're going to discover that good and perfect will of God for your life. 
Now, is that simple or what? That's really simple. And people notice. You know? People notice. And that's what this is about right here. Is the transformation of our mind. In other words, getting all this stuff settled in your mind. Settling it away. Taking care of business. Saying that Jesus died for me. And here are the things that I believe and I understand the gospel tells me. Jesus died for me and it's reasonable for me to live this way. Go ahead and convince yourself up here that that's okay because this is what he's talking about. Taking care of the carnal tendency of your mind and it fastening on things that are unpure, unholy, unrighteous, not good. Take care of that. Get it away. Transform your mind. Get it under subjection to the mind of Christ and the spirit of the living God. This is what it's about. Starting it here. You know, if you're not convinced of something up here, it's not going to manifest out here, is it? not you got to convince yourself up here some things are more difficult than others but the sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit of God has done inside us allows us the capacity to put everything through the filter and get stuff settled up here because if you're convinced of it up here it's going to manifest out here The problem is, I think sometimes we're just not convinced enough because we have already conformed to an image of this age. We've already conformed to this world, if you will, and we like it that way. And it's worked for me for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I like it this way. And when we get to the place where we like it that way and we refuse or we deny the Holy Spirit access to the transformation of our mind when we don't submit to that, Man, it can turn into a long, hard road. And the sad thing is, the sad thing is, is that people don't see the difference. They don't really get an opportunity to see who Jesus is in our life. And opportunities are missed every single day for people to be attracted to the light of Jesus that lives in you and that lives in me. Okay. Verse 3. Interesting thought here. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. I think there are two things going on here. He says that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. That would be an area of pride. Okay, thinking more, you know, thinking you're, you're God's answer to everything and to everybody. <laughs> pride. So he doesn't want us to go that way. But I think what's also being said here is, and this is where we need to just sort of take a moment and listen is that also on the other extreme of that, there's false humility. 
false humility. Well, how does that work? Well, false humility can actually work against the manifestation of the gospel of Jesus as you express it in your daily walk. Because you think, okay, here's the way, here's, as a pastor, here's the way it comes out so many times in talking to people in church. You know, I'm just, I'm just not worthy. You ever heard people say that? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not worthy. Really? Where'd you read that at? People who think they are not worthy, really that is an expression of something deeper. And that is, I think a lot of it is false humility. And it's also used as, as an apologetic or an excuse not to pursue a standard. I just, I stay down here and, you know. This, this, it, keeps people from, it keeps people from allowing the Spirit of God to rise up in them and discover their true identity. Now, the better way to express, I'm not worthy, the better way to say that is this, I'm not deserving of the least of God's benefits to me, but I am so thankful that I have been saved, and because I've been saved... I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and he's delegated me certain responsibilities and privileges and I'm going to access them. I may not deserve it, but he thought so. That's grace at work. And there is not a person in this room, there is not a person who has ever been born again, been saved, who deserved it. Not one. But God thought so. Why? Because of what Jesus did. And God's position, God the Father's position on this whole thing is this. If my son died for that person, I'm okay with it. And I'm going to take that person and I'm going to raise them up and I'm going to elevate them so they don't have to live according to the course of this world. So they don't have to be conformed to a a silly image of this, this age. Rise up. See, God wants you to rise up. And it's okay to express your faith in strong terms. It's okay to express your identity in strong terms. It's okay. But for goodness sake, don't don't say you're not worthy. Because that, that cheapens the blood that bought you. Okay with that? Cheapens the blood that bought you. So we're not to think higher than ourselves than we ought to, but we need to understand who we are. And we need to understand the capacity that we have in Jesus. Okay. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and everyone members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us. Okay? Stop for just a minute here. I just want to set the scene for you on something. We're all one body. How many, how many times have you heard we're all one body? We're all members one of another. How many times have you heard that? 
Then why pray tell so many times the body of Christ, wherever that's said in any church, any congregation, any home group, why, why is that ever said that it doesn't seem like we're the one body? You ever been there? Disunity and strife and struggles and, and indecision and going the wrong way and, 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 and grumbling and dissent. You know, <laughs> it doesn't seem like we're one body very much. In a general way of speaking. Different people, different groups having different agendas and different, different, uh, different goals. That's kind of like the way it works in the world, isn't it? That's one of the things that turns people off. With the bride of Jesus, the church. Is that they see that. And they're turned off by it. They say, you know, why do I need to, you know, I got this, you know, six days a week. Why do I need this on day seven? I mean, that really happens. We're one body. We are members one of another. Honey, would you go get that? That's, this, that's the best illustration we know of. Right there on the wall, something Amanda did many, many years ago. We're one body. Paul said, you know, why would the foot say to the hand? You know, Why would one member elevate itself above the other when they're all needed for the perfect health and function of the entire body? You know, we need everybody. We need everything. Yeah, thank you. This one big people has lots of little peoples in it. How many little people does she get? 167. 167 little people in here makes up one big person. This is as good a visual, I think, as maybe I've ever seen. Not because Amanda did it, but because I can identify with this. Mackenzie Blankenship actually saw that in a vision. Mackenzie saw it. Okay, thank you. And asked Amanda to do it. And asked Amanda to do it. So there's, there's, a, there's a perfect example like of six, working together. That's so cool. Now, it goes to a concept that I want us to get a hold of. This is part of the revelation that I had for this message that I think is important. We're getting there. I'll put it up here where you can see it. That'd be better. Didn't mean to sit it like that. Watch what he says here. I tell you, I got to get some new flip flops. I ain't drunk and stumbling around. But these things catch on the carpet. Just want to let you know in case there was any doubt. <laughs> For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. There's different members, you know, from tip of the head to the toes, have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace given us. In other words, God gives different gifts. He sprinkles them throughout the body. One of the challenges... Um, of people, I say a challenge. One of the opportunities that people have is the opportunity to discover where their gifting is, and sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes that can be a painful process. Okay? Just trying to figure out where you fit in. But listen to what he says here. Having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion or the measure of our faith. 
You know, and just sort of an aside here when it comes to uh, prophetic ministry, it's a growing process. You know, you prophesy according to the faith you have today, and as your faith grows, you can prophesy another level, you can prophesy new things, different things. So prophecy is something we grow in. We start as like an infant, like a, as a babe and grow into it. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Now, that doesn't mean don't do anything. What that means is pay attention to. If we're, if we're a minister, let us pay attention to ministering. Or if we teach, on teaching. Or he that exhorts, on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. And he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he, he, he goes into a list of things and he says, let us do it this way. And as we do it this way, as we, as we prophesy, as we minister, as we teach, as we exhort, as we give, and whatever the spiritual gift is in this body, it's part of the body. And we went so far as to say this, I need your gift and you need my gift. And we need to, we need, we need to accept and promote each other's giftedness if we are ever to achieve our own. But I'll take it a step further this morning. Here's, here's, here's what the Lord gave me in that regard. And that is this. Whatever gift I have, as I express that in the body, or as I go my way, as I express it in the kingdom, as I express my gift to the body, because you are in the body, you have co-ownership in it. My toe has co-ownership in this body. My ear has co-ownership in this body. Not only is it a part, and here's where I began to think about this differently over the last two or three days. You know, my, my ear, there's an investment in the rest of the body that my ear has made. And because my ear can hear my feet benefit from it. Okay? So there is this, you know, we are joint heirs with Jesus thing. Well, we are joint members in the body of Christ. And if we could just come to the place where we accepted everybody's gift, but also as... That person expressed that. We could recognize that we have ownership in that. How would we treat the person differently? That's where I've been the last few days. How would I, how would I interact if, if I had ownership? As Greg demonstrates his gift in the body, it's more than just interdependent. And that's the way we've explained it so many times. But it's, it's like ownership. Maybe I could say it another way. It's like owning stock in a corporation whose value should never go down but always go up. If I have stock in a company, I should treat that company really, really well. I should be interested in her affairs I should be interested in who, who, who leads it. 
I should be interested in the direction that they're going. I should be interested in the products that they manufacture. I should be concerned about their marketing. I should be, I should be really concerned about uh, how they go about uh, collecting their accounts receivable. And I should be concerned about how they return investments to make that corporation grow. See, it's ownership. I may be off the beam here. But I think, you know, putting it in those terms helps me understand better the responsibility of my relationship to you. See? I'm 54 and I'm still learning this stuff. It's ownership. So then coming down sort of to the application of this, if we are not all Striving every day to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the Spirit of God in us and transformed by the workings of the Lord in our mind. If we're not involved in that process, then how in the world, what will our stock look like? What would our stock look like? And it shouldn't be a give. It shouldn't be, a, it shouldn't be an express by ministry gift in order to get anything, either from you or from the Lord. It, it shouldn't be a, a, a do-to-get situation because that's not, that's not the tenets upon which we have been saved. We have been saved freely by the grace of God. And that changes everything. And you get your salvation not by doing but simply through the distribution of the Lord. So, so that fundam- when that fundamental change is made in our life, we really are not our own. We're bought with a price. But we are freed within the purchase of that price. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Don't go after the world system. Don't go after the Babylonian way. Live your life the way the mercy of God has dispensed itself upon you. Because he's been merciful. Live your life realizing that God's investment in you was so precious. Reflect that. Reflect the preciousness of it. And even though you're not going, even though you're not always going to do a perfect job of it, put somewhere in there, put somewhere in in the way you express the Lord, put somewhere in there is when you mess up, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't break your spirit, but it causes you to turn and to repent and to get back with God. Use that as an opportunity to turn things around. Use that as an opportunity to do things differently. Okay? Because listen, he knows you're going to mess up. That's a given. But he also allows us places just like, God, I just really messed up. I messed this up really bad. I don't want to do this again. I repent. I'm sorry. Just, just give me strength to do it better the next time. You know what? He will. He will. 
But we hang around sometimes in, in mistakes and in failures and in um, what we would consider poor doings. And that sore festers and gets infected and a lot of times will make us sick because we messed up. <laughs> the captain of our salvation took a messed up crowd and turned them into a blessed up crowd. So where are you? Don't keep being a mess. Receive the blessing. And go forward. And I like this last thing that said, show mercy with cheerfulness. You know what that means? That means that along the way, let me interpret that for you. Along the way, you're going to be the recipient of injustice. You're going to be the recipient of pain. You're going to be the recipient of something that's not good. You're going to be, you're going to be the recipient of something that's not God. And it's going to come at the hands of somebody, probably, or some people. And you, you and I are to respond to that, not with more injustice, but with mercy. And we're to, we're to respond with laughing, hilarious mercy. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that's a tough one now, isn't it? But see, that's, a, that's listed as a gift from the Lord. The gift of mercy. A mercy shower. We're to be mercy showers. The hardest thing i ever done in my life was to forgive the man who... Who, who, who done me the greatest injustice. And I can tell you a story about it, but I'll save that for later because it would take a while. That's the hardest thing I've ever done. Someone tried to ruin me and my wife financially in every other conceivable way. I mean every conceivable way. And the hardest thing I ever had to do was to show that man mercy and forgiveness. But eventually I did, and that was one of the greatest days of my life. I am no longer in prison and chained by what he did to me. No longer. I'm free from it. And when you forgive somebody who's done you wrong, when you show mercy instead of justness or judgment on somebody who's really messed you up bad it's like laughing in the face of the devil because the one thing he hates worse than anything is the act of forgiveness which includes showing mercy he hates that and guess what Jesus did that's the one thing he had to do to come here to fulfill his mission and to redeem mankind he had to show forgiveness. Not as a man, but as a second person of the Godhead. As a second person of the Godhead. He had to show. And he's, he's given us the capacity to do that. To laugh in the face of the devil. If you really want to get the devil, you start forgiving people. You start showing mercy. You start responding to situations out of the spirit of Christ rather than the spirit of flesh. And maybe the first step in that, in, in, in that direction is simply 
up here understanding that you need to. Understanding up here that you need to. And let that, let that thought dwell in the, the need for it. And go to the scripture and see if you can find any other, any other solution. Or, or go to the scripture and see if, if, if forgiveness and showing mercy is unbiblical. Just put that in your head. Just let that, let that grow and let it, let it take root in your head. You know what? Pretty soon you'll be doing that. Because right up in here you've got the issue settled. With every issue in your life, if you can take care of it up here, you're going down the road to settling it. At least that's what I found. Now I have, I have had and still do have a really long list of issues. I'm working through them. But I don't need to allow my issues, the length of them or the depth of them, I should not allow those needs and those issues to keep me or to overwhelm me to think I can't do them because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just prove it. Just, just go to the Lord and just try that. Get it settled up here. And that's what this scripture is talking about. Just get it settled up here. Now, let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, we can be conformed or we can be transformed. I ask today, dear God, that we settle the issue that we are people of transformation. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who may be struggling with things, with, with issues of transformation. I pray for them, Lord, that the Holy Spirit just would enlighten them and illuminate them. And I pray for myself in the same regard, that we would be enlightened and illuminated so that we could go forward and get to the place where we could just laugh in the face of the enemy and distribute Every gift that you've placed in us, not only to the body, but to the people in the world. Lord, that's a great blessing. And so we ask for that, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen.